Okay, thanks, folks, and welcome back after that short break. So, Edgar, so you're there in 2018. You're there in Israel. You're there in Jerusalem. Was Jerusalem your last site? Yeah. Okay, so you're there. You have this impactful, very emotional, very powerful spiritual experience. It's November 2018, so that's almost exactly four years ago. Now, I do want to mention that you have a trip that you're actually going to be in training to do the guidance to to be the guide of this trip and joe's going to assist you is that correct or you're going to assist him yeah when i was there with joe he kind of like introduced me to his um long time friends and the tour company he works with and um so he introduced me to them he told this gentleman his name is gaddy he said gaddy i want you to help edgar uh, eventually, he may be interested in bringing Hispanic people to the land, and and we need to help them out. Right. Sorry, sorry. I just want to, because you can do the whole tour in Spanish. Yeah. Right. So, so and then okay. our other good friend, Hanok Young, occasionally come to, to the States. And one time we host him, we, we had hosted him for several years already, but one of these uh, teachings, he came, um, he's like, so when are you guys going to do a trip to the land? I said, that's a good question. Let's plan for it. So before COVID, we were talking about it. And, and then COVID came and we suspended everything. And right after when uh, Israel opened the, the borders, like a month or two after that, Hanok uh, sent me some messages. He said, Edgar, what have you guys thought about the trip? Are you going to make it or not? I said, well, I almost forgot about it with all this COVID thing. Yeah. And I said, but let's do it. So I talked to Joe about it and he said, yeah, let's do it. So we planned it. We normally, we will be doing this November with Hashem's favor, the same itinerary that um, Joe did when I was with him at that time. And because I really enjoy what I saw and my experience over there. And yeah. so we're going to be staying um at the Galilee on an Orthodox kibbutz. It's called Kibbutz Labi. And we're going to have the experience of being on an Orthodox synagogue over there on Shabbat. Wow. And then after that, we'll come to Jerusalem and keep going with the, uh, with the itinerary. But yes, it's going to be an exciting experience. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, so tell me how you get from 2018, not knowing a whole lot, right, about Israel, never having been there, you know, you get, you get the, the privilege of going there. And you, you basically had just like, you'd been studying for a couple of decades, right at that point. So you knew a lot about Judaism, Hebrew, Do do you speak, read and write Hebrew yet? No, not yet. Just still working on it too, but I'm nobody good at it. <laughs> so, but but you just did a seminar. I mean, what really sparked this interview is you did a seminar at Batzion Messianic Congregation there in or in Houston. Sorry, you're in Austin and I'm in Dallas. But you did a seminar and you you did at least like what three to four hours of this like twelve to fifteen hour seminar was you presenting the prayer services, uh, some of the virtual reality temple experience, right? Yeah, I think Joe did most of the virtual temple. Okay. 
I shared the temple and the Siddur and the prayers. Okay. And then so, I also did other teaching about the tribes and the temple. So how did you, how long did it take to put all those, all that together? How long have you been studying what you presented at that conference just a few weeks ago? Well, normally when we study with Joe uh, on the past years, we were studying with him like um, two afternoons during the week, like Mondays and then on Thursdays. And, and then I have my own um, teachings that I do with the Hispanic community uh, from our congregation. On Thursday night, we've been studying the book of uh, the Kings and the book of Chroni uh, Chronicles. We haven't done it, but we did Kings and first and second Shemuel. And now we do in the book of Jeremiah. But um, um, so every time we were studying with Joe, different topics surrounding temple service or the land of Israel or the community, I will, I will try to grasp the idea of what we're studying. And then I make all of these notes and put them on folders. So I got my Kohanim folder, my Levine folder, and my, my temple structure folders. And there. So one day I was like, okay, wait, wait, I got, I got to pause you because you use some of that Hebrew Hebrew words there for uh, folks who are not familiar with the Hebrew words you just you just uh, used. Kohanim, what what are the Kohanim and what are the Leviim? I know, but I want the, the audience okay. to. The Kohanim is the Hebrew word for the priests okay. serving on the temple. And then the Leviim, they're the Levites um, helping on the service of the Kohanim or the priests on the temple. And you have to be from the tribe of Levi to even be a Kohen. Yeah. But not all Kohanim, the priest, not all priests. Sorry, I got it backwards. Levim. Not all Leviim. Not everybody from the tribe of Levi or Levi. I, I don't like pronouncing it that way because it sounds like it makes me think of blue jeans. Um, Levi, right? Um, the, the priests come from one family within that tribe. Yeah, from the family of Aaron. Right, right. Who was from Kahat? Kahat, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, more that's more genealogy than we probably need to get into. So I had all these notes about right. Sorry. Um, in this case, about prayer and about the temple structure, which one of my favorite topics when I study is the liturgy, the prayers in, in the synagogue, either or in our my my question since I got my first Bible was like why do you welcome people when they come in and why do you ask for money and why do you play a song when you're asking for money and why this why that so I wonder that is a great question why do they play music and do an offering in the service yeah I also was asking questions about why do they do what they do and yeah, the pastors yeah. that I knew through all my life they would always say well our friends pastors they done it for all their life like that so we just do it like that and yeah, i'm like tradition. Right, i yeah. just want to i just want to learn yeah tradition and so i never knew about synagogues or jewish community until i went to israel with joe and so we went to israel and, and it was a very deep and great experience for me to see the first thing that shocked me was to put my eyes on the Hebrew words, on the streets, on the stores, on the cars, 
license plates or whatever. I'm like, Hebrews everywhere, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> and um, so all that was a, a great experience for me. And then being able to experience a Shabbat on the Orthodox synagogue on the kibbutz, it was also a highlight from my experience. So after we came from the land, I wanted to have like um, uh, organize the service in our congregation the best that we could. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. So I started learning more about liturgy and prayers and um, a family from California donated jo Joseph Good uh, scroll. It's the the scroll of the Torah, the five books of Moshe. Oh, so a California family donated a scroll to Hatikva? To Hatikva, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So Joe went and got it, and when he brought it to Texas, uh, I remember, I don't remember the year, but it was, I think, a uh, festival of Shavuot. Oh, how and appropriate. Said, you want to come and do the Shavuot service with us, and we have the Sefer Torah, and we have the Ark, and people are going to be coming. And I say, that would be great. So my wife and I, um, we went over there and had the service, which it was, of course, a long praying service. I remember my son, Aaron, he was like 12 at that time or something. And, oh my gosh. and he stood on the service the whole time. And Joe's like, Aaron, I'm proud of you that a lot of the other kids were like, I'm going to the bathroom or I have to do this. Right. But you remain during the whole service, and my son is like, "How old is Aaron now?" Right now, he he just turned eighteen. So that was six years ago. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Wow. And um, amazing. But it was great, and so I started experiencing the. I remember when, in one of those services, Joe told me that I was gonna sit, and with the Sefer Torah on my lap. And somebody else is going to come and undress the Torah before we put it on the bima. So that was my first experience doing something like that. So I was sitting on the, the chair. The bima is the stage, right? The, the platform. Like the, yeah, the table the where we put the scroll. Oh, right, right, yeah. For yeah. the reading. Right. And um, so I was sitting there. And when I was driving back with my wife, I told her, I just learned something else. And she said, what? I say, well, in the book of Revelation, there is uh, the ancient of days sitting with a scroll on his lap. And there is oh nobody on the head I and never thought about that. So I told my wife, I just learned that the service in the synagogue, it resembles also the coronation of the Messiah wow. in the book of Revelation. And so it kind of changed my life about learning that's, all these details. Um, you don't happen to know what chapter that's in, do you? I think it's chapter four or five. That I've never seen that connection. That's amazing. That is phenomenal. Oh, I found your references, by the way. In the, they're only in John, where Yeshua says, oh, don't John. touch me, I have not ascended, and uh, let me see the marks in your hands and your side. There, I believe it's John twenty or twenty one. Um, I'll I'll double check it real quick while you look for that one in Revelation. But so I just want to clarify what you're referring to is in every synagogue service 
where the Torah is read. They ask somebody called the Hag Hagba and the uh, Hagolel, the the holder or the lifter and the roller. So yeah. the the lifter is the one that lifts it up and then holds it while somebody else dresses it, and the other person rolls it up while they hold it, and then they put the Torah dress on. Now, did you know that there's a connection there with the dressing of the Torah to, uh, well, let me, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. It was John 20, verses um, 17, and then verse 26 and 27. Where it talks about those two different instances about don't touch me now. Yeah, you're yeah, me. yeah. Thank so, you. Too. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, thank God I found it. I had to look through all four gospels to find it. Um, I should have just started with the the one I, I opened to, which was John, but I went all the way back to Matthew. Um, okay, so the right the lifter. I forgot where I was going with this. Um, yeah, so you have these two people, the lifter and the dresser, and oh, the Torah has armor. Okay, so it's just like in Ephesians, I think it's what Ephesians 6 put on the full armor of God. Right. So it has a breastplate, it has a belt. It remembers uh, the dressing of the coin Gadol, right? The high priest. Right, yeah, same thing. Yeah, it's Ephesians 6. Uh, it starts in verse 13. But I've always thought there was a connection there because uh, the breastplate especially. Um, and then the, uh, I think of the feet, you know, as like the, the handles at the bottom, cause it looks like a tree and it looks like kind of like a person standing there, you know, but just like us, we can't stand without God holding us up. Otherwise we're standing on our own. We're going to fall. So the Torah, you know, Yeshua couldn't even stand on his own without praying into God, without being you know, anointed by the spirit. So it's like that person sitting there is like, is, is taking the throne. Like they're holding, you know, the word of God and they're like, uh, you know, symbolic of the King, you know, the, the Lord himself. Yeah. And it remind, re reminds me that the sages of Israel, they tell us that like the word, uh, Emmet, um, it has three Hebrew words, right? Letters. letters three M letters. On the tab. And each one of these three Hebrew letters have to fit. So Emmet stands strong and it, it doesn't move. But the word Sheker, it has the Shin, the Kuf, and the Reish, and right. it only has one leg. Right. So even when we talk about the Messiah, saying that he is the way, the truth, and yeah. the life, that's actually in my prayer book. I wish I had it handy. That's in my uh, conservative prayer book. And you that's in the daily reading. That's one of the optional readings. And it talks about the fit, the, the actual construction of those letters. Emet, which is truth, is more stable than the word for falsehood in Hebrew, which is sheker, like you said. And yeah. all three of those letters just have one line, one leg. What's funny about that, about the word emet, I thought where you're going with that was Aleph Mem Tav is the spelling of the word emet, right? Yeah. So emet 
truth, right? You have to have all of God's letters encompassed together. You have to have a whole full spectrum of of two letters. Uh, right. Uh, what am I trying to say? You have to see everything from beginning to end to know the truth, right? Because Aleph is the first letter. Tav is the last letter of the Aleph bet. Okay. Mem is right in the middle. Right. But when you take the first letter of the Aleph bet, the middle letter of the Aleph bet, and the last letter of the Aleph bet. So bookends plus the middle, right? You've got truth, the word emet. And right. Aleph is the first, is the, the letter for Adonai, right? Adonai, the, the main word for the Lord starts with the letter Adonai, right? No right. coincidence that emet truth also god is truth right so they start with the same letter then you have mem which is water right mayim mem is mem literally means water yeah and the spelling of the name mem is just one letter short of the word for water mayim but if you look at mem it looks like a wave and yeah. hier hieroglyphically that's what it, it was it was symbolic the m sound comes from the word for water in hebrew mayim and then tav means like a mark, like a stopping point, like X marks the spot. Yeah. And in some Hebrew publications, they even translate, like in the Jacinius, if you have a Jacinius there handy, you can look it up. But the Jacinius Hebrew Chaldee lexicon, if you look at the name and the meaning for all of the Hebrew names for the letters, they each are symbolic. And Tav, they literally call it a cross like X marks the spot, but the word cross is in there. Now I don't call what Yeshua was crucified on a cross. I call it a tree or an execution stake. Cause I think cross almost like glamorizes it or makes it less violent and it kind of yeah. walks it down. But I just found it fascinating that like when he said it is finished, it's like it was finished at that point and that's the tav that's the stopping point the end of the aleph bet and tav means x done done and, and it's the last letter of the aleph bet oh, only when you go from aleph to tav all the way through the aleph bet you have the lord like you know above uh, you know the adonai the father right then you have the water which is what he created right the earth was actually pulled out of the water and right then, the mem in the middle. So water fills from beginning to end the entire universe, the entire calendar of time for 6,000 years. And you can either be judged by the water or you can jump in and be immersed by the water, by the spirit of Yeshua. And it takes you all the way to the end, to his final coming, where I just love that. Like X marks the spot. Tav is the mark. It's the end. And yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to take the floor. I'm so sorry. So yeah, Baruch Hashem, and thank you for sharing that. Um, so, anyways, I I stood there and I told my wife I learned so much about this service because I could understand better the meaning of chapter five of the book of Revelation. And chapter five, thank you. That the Messiah is is getting the the scroll from the ancient of days, being sitting at the throne, and. Um, so that excited me, and, and I'm like, I have to learn more about the services. So it's been it's been um, a, a pleasant um, experience to be able to get my prayer books, and 
being able to come over to Hatikva and experience the festivals or the Shabbat services with uh, Joseph and Debbie Good, and and then just learn from them and and then come to a congregation and and do the prayers ourselves. And uh, a few years back, I was able to find from Art Scroll they had a Musach Askenaz, uh, Hispanic Hebrew. Oh. Spanish, Hebrew. You know, I feel so bad, Edgar. I had one and I didn't know what to do with it. And I took it to the bookstore and I wish I had saved it for you. I don't remember which one it was, but uh, when I heard you say that the other day on our temple study, I was like, man, I knew something was telling me to keep that book. Yeah, that's okay. But uh, we we got those books and then we told the congregation, everybody needs to have their own prayer book. So and people gather books and every Shabbat we go through the morning prayers following the pages and being able to learn under Joe and Debbie it's been very great because I'm able to learn about the structure of the temple and then able to trace years of the Sidur to the relation to the structure of the temple so okay, say that again because for years, I was so uninterested that the thought of studying the temple was not only overwhelming to me, it just, it was like, it's too much work. I don't even know where to start. What is, how is it going to impact my faith? How is it going to help my walk with Yeshua, with the Lord? How is it going to, you know, edify? It, it, it takes up, a, a, I guess, a lot of the Bible in like Ezekiel 40 through 48. But, you know, is it really that essential anyway I, I don't know it just there wasn't that spark there that's there now right that's just developed like kind of recently over the last year or two but t tell me how it developed for you and how it's made a difference in your life in your walk and and in your faith yeah well i had all these notes about um the structure of the temple and um and then i think i heard one of the rabbis that i um sometimes i go on to like orthodox union or one of those uh orthodox sites and i punch like looking in certain team so i remember which rabbi i was listening one time and he was uh talking about the structure of the temple being related to the prayer book and i'm like oh this is so interesting so i started looking for information relating that um uh, association and and yeah i just even looking into the instructions of the prayer book when you open the book it tells you how the sidur came together and actually the the word sidur means orderly prayers right more like the pesach seder seder right sidur and seder same root same shoresh related yeah so th that taught me that there is an order for the service of the temple as much as there is an order for the individual to do his prayers on a daily basis. So I start looking and tracing every structure of the temple in its relation to the prayers on the book. And, and that, that's how I kind of like amazed me how the Lord gave the plans and in Hebrew, we call it the Tavnit. Um, um, and we have a, a book on the Mishnah. It's called Midot, 
And even when I was looking or some a few years back, I was looking for uh, commentaries on, on the Mishnah tractate Midot to learn about the temple. And when I looked online, all these books about Midah or Midot, but it has nothing to do with the structure of the temple. It was more related to the conduct or the ethics right. of the individual on his daily life. Right. For those that don't know, I just want to clarify the Hebrew again. So the Mishnah is commentary on the halakha, how to actually walk out the observances in Judaism by the rabbinic authorities that were given all the way passed down from Moses to Joshua to the 70 elders to the men of the great assembly. So you have this long lineage of authority that within the Bible, the Bible states you shall listen to this authority. Okay, so. Whether people agree with that or not, neither here nor there right now. But Midot in the Mishnah is the pass is the the tractate that uh, has to do well. Midot can be emotions, but what else does it mean, Edgar? And it's M, it's M like Mike, I D D O T. So yeah. what what does it, it can mean? also mean like a measure? Like we have to measure up like the perfect um, perfect man. Of the Messiah, right, right. We have to measure up. Right. So our our way of living, the commandments, it gives us to be or a good stature or a good midah. Wow, I so never have... thought. Thank you. That is amazing. That's a great insight right there. I could just end the meeting right here and you know call it a day. Happy. That that's a great insight you just gave. Yeah, we we organize our life just like the temple plans were given by the hand of God or by the Ruach HaKodesh or the Holy Spirit into the hands of King David. Yeah. And King David gave it to his son Solomon and he told him, make sure you build the house right. of the Lord according to the plans that he has given me. Right. When you build the house, you build it like traditionally you have... Um, living room when you come in the welcoming area and then you have probably the kitchen next to it so you can feed your guests or your family and then deeper inside you have uh, bedroom one bedroom two a hallway or library or whatever and on the closest area or the most private you have the master bedroom and the master bathroom and so structure for how to live our lives or to behave as, as families. And it doesn't make sense like if you want to put the bathroom or the toilet on the living room or, <laughs> or the master closet next to the dining room and things like that, because everything will be a chaos, right? I got to tell you, this is a total tangent, but because this is, you know, not a Bible study program, I just got to throw this in. So do you remember the show Candid Camera? Yeah. From years ago, and there was a Spanish version called Lente Loco. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in the Alan Funt, like back from the, I guess the seventies or eighties, um, he had uh, like there was a candid camera episode where they had a house and they had an open house and they had somebody you know acting as a realtor, and people would come in. It was a three bedroom house, garage, but no bathroom. <laughs> And they waited to see if people would realize. So I guess they put like a false wall. They had a real house, right? And they put a false wall and they blocked off the bathrooms. And people were like, 
so I see there you have three bathrooms and an office, but where, where's the restroom? I'm like, oh, there, there's not a restroom in this house. Like, uh, uh, how are you going to sell it? Oh, well, somebody will buy it. <laughs> and I waited for people to, just to get their reaction to come see a house with no bathroom. It's <laughs> hilarious. It's probably yeah. on YouTube somewhere. But anyway, so you start studying the temple and you're, you're seeing these things in the service. So you start going, you start moving toward practicing really the Jewish prayer services. Yeah. But they were given by God to David and Solomon. So they're biblical services. These yeah. were not created by rabbis out of thin air. Like no, no. non-Jews think a lot of believers in Yeshua and Jesus. Like I was one of them. I, I bought into this and I never asked anybody, well, where do you get this? How do you know that they were created by men in what year? And well, they had to get them from somewhere. The more I went to service and I'm going to stop talking because I want you to talk. Um, I saw Psalms, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Psalms, more Psalms, Lamentations. Ezekiel, angels talking to the other angels, you know, praising God, the Shema, Deuteronomy, Exodus. I mean, over and over, Ashrei, that prayer is from a bunch of different Psalms. Yeah. I just heard today that if you really look at the Psalms, for instance, each verse can be seen as a blessing in and of itself, which I had never thought of before. Yeah. There is Psalms, they're called like Tefillah or Prayer of David. Or Tehillim. Tehillim. Yeah. Yeah, in the book of Tehillim. Yeah. But uh, Ashray and, and Miss Morle David. So. Oh, they're that, actually called Tefillah. They're actually called prayers. Prayer, Tefillah. Yeah. Because Tehillim is like, like more like music. What's so salt? Exalt. Thank you. I didn't know the English translation yet. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it was great to start um, using the order orderly service of the synagogue in our congregation, and then I finally understood that I I shouldn't use like the welcoming thing and then the song for asking for money and things like that that we don't know how the church end up with all this structure but yeah uh, on the way that the bible describes the services is different and even when you read on the book of acts the congregations or the synagogues um they're following the same pattern because there is an order for everything at one time joe mentioned that he went to this conference on houston and in it was a scholar on jewish mysticism uh, many years ago, and um, he was talking about the Hebrew or Jewish mysticism. So Joe said, I went and I wanted to learn and hear this scholar. And he was asking people, what is, what is the most mystic Jewish work? And people were like, the Sohar or Kabbalah and this. And the guy's like, professor is like, no, no, that one, you're wrong, you're wrong. And Nobody could figure out which one. And he's like, the New Testament. Because the New Testament 
it talks about, like you just say, about angels and, and resurrection and mysticism, Midrashim, the Mishnah, and all this inheritance from the Jewish people from, wow. from all their life. But if, and, you, if you don't know the vocabulary, you weren't raised with it, and you don't, you don't go to those services, you don't, aren't familiar with those services, you'll miss it. You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll read a King James or a New International Version, and you won't miss it all. And, and Joe, he, he said he was uh, amazed that uh, in this scholar's mind, they understood that to read the New Testament is more complicated than reading the Talmud or the Gemara or the Mishnah, because we can see I have here like the Sohar and over here I have the Midrashim and the and the Talmud, the Sonshino, but everything comes like by themes and topics. So Joe said you can learn about women or about agriculture or about the temple, and you you got your topics on the books. You open the New Testament, it goes like everywhere. So the writers of the New Testament they take for granted that you know, that you've been right. trained in all this inheritance. Right. So it's like going to, it's like jumping. Okay. So regardless of how anybody feels about Harry Potter, it's just a great example that I like to use as an analogy. So just, you know, put whatever your beliefs are about Harry Potter aside, but the Harry Potter series is seven books. You would not jump or any, any, and, um, uh, you know, saga books, any, any, uh, uh, what do you call it? Series of books, right? You wouldn't jump to book six or seven and start reading even the beginning of that book, having not read the other five or six and expect to know what's going on. Right. Yeah. That's the way I tell it to people. So why are you reading the gospels and the epistles, the apostolic writings, the new Testament, you know, however we want to call it. Why would you read that without understanding the people the language, the archaeology, the sociology, the culture, the agriculture, the the timeline, the calendar, the festivals they celebrated, right? And their doctrine, their constitution, which is the Torah itself. Why would you jump into reading that and expect to understand it and inspect, expect a non-Jew to now I'm on my soapbox, but I'll get off in a minute. But you know, now you're expecting a non-Jewish person who went to a seminary, which God bless them, they're well-meaning and they're good. They're really good teachers out there that are anointed, but there are a lot that aren't, right? Expect that person who doesn't know any of those 10 things or know them very well, isn't incorporating them into it. Uh, I mean, I heard a very famous pastor uh, today. I, I want to mention his name, but I don't. I mean, it was a really good teaching, actually. But he couldn't pronounce Mordecai. He pronounced it. I can't even remember how Mordecai or I, I don't know. It was embarrassing. And I'm like, come on. I mean, you've got probably an advanced degree. People have been listening to you for decades and that's a main character in the Bible. I mean, let's at least respect Israel and the Hebrew by at least learning how to pronounce the name. Yeah. yeah so, so learn about the New Testament in this context. Um, I mean, a person like me that grew up Catholic all my young years and when I was a boy, and then when I got married 
uh, got into the Christian church and then asked questions and nobody has answers. And then I'm like, by just by, by logic, I need to learn about the writers of these books so I can understand these exactly. books. Exactly, exactly. Man, Edgar, we have like a minute 20 left. We could keep talking, um, but I appreciate this so much. Um, if you want to pick up, I'd love to invite you to come back and we'll talk more about how you've lined up the prayer services with the timeline of the Bible and the calendar for the, not just for the past, but for the future. So that fascinated me. And if you want to know, if you want to see Edgar's teaching on that, um, then go to Batsion Congregation, Batsion Messianic Congregation on YouTube and look for the seminar from uh, late August or early September. And there are going to be nine episodes and you can see Edgar's episodes there. But thank you so much. I'm so sorry to cut you short. Um, but uh, yeah, I would love to have you back. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here with you and talking about all these experiences of myself. And, and, and um, yeah, it would be an honor to come back and keep talking about it. All right. Shalom. Thank you. And send any comments you have to opinionation20 at gmail.com. Shalom. Shalom.